Pray with me. Father, we come now before you asking that you would widen our hearts to receive uh, your promise. God, the great and wonderful and almost unbelievable things you have promised to us, would you uh, help us to trust them? God, we ask now that your spirit would um, be at work within us as your word goes forth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but pain in life is inevitable. It's going to happen if it's not already happened and if you're not in it right now. Uh, So, I'm sorry to start this off on such a sad note, but that's just the reality of it. And, you know, the thing about it is, is you, you really can't, you can't ignore suffering in the world. I mean, it's, it's, you know, whether you're, you're in it right now, some sort of pain, or um, it's just thrust before your eyes every day. I mean, you, you look at the world around you and it's just, it's falling apart. I mean, it was so sad today. Allie and I were, were at Chick-fil-A and there's this guy sitting near us and he had like a neck brace on and like, he looked like he weighed like 80 pounds and it was like legitimately so sad. <laughs> like that, it was, that wasn't supposed to happen when God created everything. Like it, things weren't supposed to break down and, and, and us have physical struggles and pain and loss. And yet that's, uh, that is the world that we live in. That is, that is the state of this fallen world that we live in. And so you can't ignore it. So the question becomes, what do you, what do, you do with it? What do you do with pain? What do you do with suffering? And uh, whether we realize it or not, and whether we're following Jesus or not, we all make promises to ourselves that bring us up out of what we can see right in front of us to something beyond and greater. So for instance, um, if... Raise your hand if you've ever gone through a, a pretty bad breakup where you were the one that got dumped. Really? Like six people? Are you? Wow, you guys are so good at relationships. I'm proud of you. Okay, I have gone through it. I've been on the receiving end of that before where you just get dumped out of nowhere. And, you know, when, when that happens and, you know, that night you're curled up on your couch and you've got a gallon of Neapolitan ice cream, and you've got the notebook on repeat, you know, just nonstop going. And this, this is, that's not just for girls, okay? That's what guys do too, okay? So don't, girls, don't, don't let us fool you, okay? We have the same coping mechanism when it comes to getting dumped. And, uh, you know, so you call your, you know, you call your bestie that night, and you, you know, you're telling them what happened. And what is, like, nine times out of ten, what is, what is the bestie's response to, to saying, I got broken up with? Yeah, there's something better out there. There's more fish in the sea. They're, they're promising you something. They're saying, hey, your, your current circumstance is, you know, it's, it's not looking good. I'm not going to deny that. But there's, there's a reality out there. And the reality is, is there's other fish, which that just, that's a weird analogy to me in the first place. Like, why is it fish? Like, why is, I don't... I mean, maybe I do want to think of the, the person that just broke up with me as a fish. I don't know. But the idea of other fish out there, I'm like, I don't want fish. Maybe that was a fish. I want, like, a human. So it's a weird analogy in the first place. But they're, they're, promis- they're, they're promising you something. 
And in promising you something, you, uh, you're, you're able to lift up a little bit out of your, your circumstance. The appearances of, of your life, you're able to lift up out of it a little bit, and you have some hope. So that, that's what we do. We, we, we promise ourselves certain things to help us cope with the pain of life so that we aren't hopeless, right? Like when, we, when someone loses hope, it's, it's, it, what happens is the, the circumstances in their life seem so down, so bad, and so uh, unbelievably unfixable that they just give up. And maybe they keep living, but there's just... There's no life in them. We all know people like this. And maybe you, you maybe feel like you're kind of in a, a point like that where you just sense this hopelessness. Um, and that can even lead to suicide. I mean, so hopeless, no vision of anything ever getting better that, that is so, uh, so serious that, that you would want to take your own life. But the reality is, is if you are alive today uh, with any remote will to live at all, uh, you are trusting in some promise. You're, you're clinging to some hope. There's some vision out there uh, of, of things getting better. And so we, we, have, to, we have to ask ourselves, what, what, what are we hoping in? What are the things that we're trusting in? And so, you know, I think there are, um, there are many things, many promises that we can make to ourselves in, in, in the face of pains, certain pains that we feel that give us hope. So, um, so some of those things the, that, that I think that those are, so I mean, you think about the pain of regret, right? So you're, you're in college now, and you think about the high school version of you, and maybe the high school version of you, you feel like was a better version of, of you. But for a lot of people, the high school version of you was a much less desirable version of you. You don't like that version of you because maybe you weren't a Christian or maybe you just uh, made some dumb decisions and you you come to college, you move out of the house with with these regrets, that pain. And so so you promise yourself that this is my opportunity to remake myself. This This is my chance. This is fresh start. No one knew me before. This is my chance to remake myself. And so we cling to that and that allows us to keep moving to keep moving through life that gives us hope. Or um, I think a lot of us have a fear of the future. We, we fear what, what's coming our way. We fear what's going to happen when we graduate. Um, and so we, we, we promise ourselves that we are the makers of our own destiny. It, so it's, just, it's up to me. It's just I've got to study hard enough. I've got to be nice enough. I've got to apply enough. I've got to you know, make enough connections. Or we, we, we feel the pain currently of being poor. You're college students, so most likely you are poor. You don't have a lot of money, and you don't want to stay there. You realize this is just a state of life, but you don't want to stay there. And so you promise yourself that through this degree that I'm getting, or through this husband that I'm going to get, I will have financial stability. And so that promise you make to yourself allows you to keep moving through your, po- your current poverty right now. Because you're like, there's, there's money out there waiting for me. It's coming my way. <clears throat> Some of us, we, we have the pain of low self-esteem. We just have this really low view of ourselves, and, and we feel condemned all the time. And we feel like people are always laughing at us and making fun of us and not wanting to be our friend. And so we promise ourselves that Instagram, man, Instagram can save you. That's 
That, that's how I'll build a reputation. That's how I'll build followers. That's how I'll get instant gratification. That's how I'll boost myself up. And that gives us hope to kind of keep going. Okay, the people around me, maybe I don't get a lot from them, but these people out there I can get something from. And this, and this one, this last one I think is, it's a real one. It's a very serious one. And it's the pain of loneliness. It's feeling alone, whether that's just generally alone, like you're, you feel alone in large groups of people, like you're on your campus, but you feel like you don't know anybody and people don't know you. Um, but more specifically, I think it's, it's the pain of not being in a relationship, the, the, the pain that we feel in being single. Um, you know, I think this, this is a huge one. I think it's, and we end up promising ourselves that, you know, when, when the one you know, the one walks by us in the calf one day and we're just sitting there eating our mac and cheese and all of a sudden we just get a whiff of something and we look up and we make eye contact with that specimen of a human and we just know, like, that's, that's the one. And then forever I'm good. You know, we're going to get engaged, like, within a, before spring we're going to get engaged. I'm going to do it at step sing. I mean, I'd, you know, we're going, we're going to get down on one knee at step sing. And, you know, just life will be perfect. And that gives us hope. You know, like, I'm single now and I hate it. But I know eventually I will find that person. I, that will come, that will come about. But, you know, the thing about this is that in the midst of all this, there's this haunting feeling that none of those promises can really bear a lifetime worth of pain. They, they might ease the pain for a little bit. They, they might be able to lift our eyes above the waves for, for a little bit, but, but we just, we know like that, even, even a relationship, even that, I just know won't be enough to get me through the rest of my life um, with a deep sense of hope and purpose. And so the question becomes, as followers of Jesus, those of, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, what promises has God made to us? What promises has God made to us specifically in the midst of suffering that can actually change us and can actually fill us with hope? We, we see two things here in this passage and we'll be looking at uh, verses 14 through 25 tonight. In the first section there, 14 through 17, we see that God gives us a promise for our present life. Right here, right now. Something that we can cling on to. And then in the second section, we see that God gives us a promise for our future life. So now, right here, there's something that we can taste and, and, and receive and lay hold to, and yet we also have something in the future that we can look to and lay hold to. So in this first section, God is making a promise to us, and he's battling this doubt that Christians have. He's battling the doubt that really God doesn't love us that much, that his view of us is based on our performance and that in reality he's, he's, a, he's a slave master and we're slaves and he's just harsh and we live in fear that just at any moment like a lightning bolt is going to strike me because I've just sinned. 
And so God gives us a promise. That's not that you can you can choose to believe that promise, but that's not real. That's not what I'm saying. So what is God promising us? In verses 14 and uh, and 15, it says this: For all who were led by the Spirit are uh, Spirit of God, are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God promises us that we are his children. He's promising us that. And, and the crazy thing about this is he's speaking to Christians in verse 15 and saying, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So it actually is possible to be a legitimate Christian, someone who's trusted in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You can really have trusted in that and yet live with this relationship to God that is as if you are his slave and he's just at any moment going to just come, wake up one night and for no reason just start beating you and that he doesn't actually love you. But his promise is that he has acted to adopt us. And the crazy thing about this adoption of God making us his children is, you know, we normally don't really think of ourselves as orphans. But the reality of it is, is, is pre-Christ, we are. We, we are fatherless. And normally when you think about adoption, it's, it is this beautiful picture of a mom and a dad going out to find a child who has, has lost their biological mother and father and bringing them into their home. But with, with that picture, we, we realize this is beautiful and it, and it is a picture of what God does. But there, typically there's no previous relationship there. It, it's, it's a random child. But with us, there is. There's a lot of history. We're not just random kids that are orphans and lost our mom and dad. We are enemies of God. We, we orphaned ourselves, and yet God still comes after us. We can take confidence that. We can trust in that. That though we have made ourselves orphans, God has chosen to receive us to himself. You know, I often, I often think about it, and, and I think it's something that we talk about a lot. Like, how can you know for sure that the Spirit is speaking to you. Like, how can I know God is talking to me? And right here, we, we get that. We, we have a certainty, we can have a certainty about when the Spirit is talking to us. It's this, it's when we actually believe, it's when we actually trust that God has loved us and adopted us. That is, that is not natural at all. No one just in their natural mindset thinks that way. Our natural mindset is we're slaves and we fall into fear. We don't naturally trust that. But, but what, is, what does this passage say? This is, this is the work of the Spirit, that not only does God save us, he does the work to save us, but he does the work to assure us that he has saved us. He sends his Spirit to us and in us. And so instead of being full of fear, we can cry out to our Father. And the beautiful thing about this is this, this phrase here, Abba, Father. Um, it, that word Abba, it does mean Daddy, Papa, this very intimate 
title for, for a dad. But what's even more beautiful about that is that is the very language that Jesus himself used with God the Father. In Mark 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is looking down the tunnel of wrath and punishment coming his way, he cries out with this language. This is the language of Jesus, which is now ours. What this is telling us is that we Christians have the same relationship with God that Christ has. That same type of sonship is ours. It is that full, that real, that wide, that expansive. In the same way that God would not deny Jesus, he would not deny you. 11 verse 16, this, it's, it's, uh, it's almost kind of funny to me. It's, it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's coming out of this, this thing of like naturally on our own, we fall back into this idea of slavery and fear. And it's almost like the Spirit is just saying, just chill, just chill out. Like in our spirits, we, we do. We, we, we have this sense of like, yes, I can be assured that God, God loves me. But then he comes around us and he wraps his arms around us and says, just relax, just ease up. Like you can, you can let down the anxiety and the fear of your sin and relax. So we have to ask ourselves, like right now, tonight, how do you feel in your relation to God? Do you feel like a slave or do you feel like a child, do you feel like you have privileges with God? I mean, that's the idea here. You've got privileges. You've got benefits. You've got rights. You've got access to God. Do you feel that? And when we do feel that, we can be assured that that is the Spirit. That is the Spirit working in us. So God's promise to us here that fights our doubt that in reality God is unloving and harsh and that we're his slaves. His promise is, no, we are the children of God. We are God's children and we can relate to God just as Jesus does. And that promise, that promise unlocks life to us. Um, I was talking with Allie the other day and she, uh, she brought up the Pilgrim's Progress. I'm not sure if you, you all have read that book before. It's a, it's a classic Christian uh, work. And in it is this really very interesting encounter. The, it's, it's this huge allegory for, for the Christian life and coming to know Jesus. And so there, I've got a little synopsis here that, um, that someone else has wrote, but I just want to read it to you all. And it's, it's, it's recounting a certain part of, of this story of, of Christian. That's, that's the main character's name, Christian's journey to the heavenly city. It says this, At one point on their pilgrimage... Christian and his companion, Hopeful, stepped outside the true way into Bypath Meadow because it looked easier and it seemed to be going in the same direction as the way. Soon they realized their mistake and began the journey back towards the way. As they traveled, they slept one night on the grounds of a castle. But it turned out that this was Doubting Castle, owned by Giant Despair, When the giant found them, he threw them into his dark and nasty dungeon, and they suffered terribly from capture on Wednesday until escape on Sunday. On Thursday, at the suggestion of his wife, Diffidence, giant despair beat them severely and mercilessly. 
On Friday, he told them to kill themselves since there was no hope for them. On Saturday, angered that they had not committed suicide, he showed them the bones of those he had previously murdered by tearing them to pieces. He assured them that their end would come soon in the same manner. Then he beat them again. But at midnight on Saturday, despite their wounds, Christian and Hopeful began to pray. And they, pray and, uh, and they prayed, sorry, they continued this prayer throughout the night. And then this is a direct quote from the Pilgrim's Progress about their escape. Now, a little before it was day, good Christian, as one half amazed, break out in passionate speech, what a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise. That will I am persuaded open any lock in doubting castle. And using the key, Christian and hopeful escaped. All along, Christian had this key in, his, in the pocket of his shirt called promise. And, and, and it, the, the story goes on to say that this key worked at every single lock in the castle of doubt. They were behind like six walls and every single one, it worked. Using the promises of God can free you from the despair and the dungeon of doubt. And so, when we feel that aching sense, when we we feel like we're entering into the dungeon of slavery, remember, you have a key, a key called promise, a promise that you are the children of God, that he has made you his child. He chose to make you his child. So this is the promise that we have now, right now, we are adopted as God's children. Right now, we have an inheritance. The, the down payment of an inheritance that we will fully receive it, 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 in the future. And this inheritance, it says in verse 17, that if we're children, then heirs, and heirs of God. God is our inheritance. God himself is our hope. God himself is our promise. And though we may suffer, we trust that we will be glorified, which leads us to the next section. So we not only have a promise for this future life, that right now we are the children of God, we have a promise for the future life. And this promise fights against our doubt that we'll never stop hurting. We we, we tell ourselves that the world is just completely broken. It's, It's going to get worse. I'm hurting. That's just going to get worse. And God gives us a promise that fights that and rebukes that. Verse 18, Paul says, For I consider, he's counting, he's numbering, he's measuring out his sufferings at this present time, and they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So sufferings. He's talking about sufferings. Um, This is something when I I was thinking about uh, how have I suffered? I've suffered in a, I suffered in a very deep way uh, due to Chaco's, okay? Chaco's shoes, all right? Uh, I, I suffered uh, for Chaco's, all right? And I suffered in Chaco's, okay? When I was going to school in California, 
Chacos were not uh, anything that you wore, okay? So in the South, you guys are ahead of the, the fashion curve. Don't let anyone ever tell you that California is where it's at fashion-wise, okay? So I was wearing my Chacos there, and I was mocked mercilessly, and so I stopped wearing them. So I have suffered for Chacos, but I've also suffered in Chacos. The first time I ever wore Chacos, they weren't my Chacos, and they were two sizes too big, and I hiked 10 miles in them, and it was terrible. I had just, I mean... Blisters like that big at like five points on each of my feet. I got to the point where I was wearing socks with my chacos while, while I was trying to ease the pain, just kind of walking like that. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I've, I've also suffered more deeply than that. But that was just one of the first sufferings that came to mind. Um, the, the thing about this is, though, is he's not talking about persecution. Like, for, when we think about suffering, when I hear the word suffering in the Bible, I'm thinking suffering for Christ. Like, that's immediately what comes into my mind. But that's not really what he's talking about here. This is just general life being mean to you. This is just life being tough. And <clears throat> reminds us of, of those pains that we talked about earlier, of loneliness, of low self-esteem, <clears throat> those sorts of things that we, uh, we struggle with, physical <clears throat> issues, mental issues that are a result of this fallen world. But he says that these things aren't even worth comparing because of the glory that is to come. So this word glory, the idea there is weightiness, density. Like we, the phrase in our culture that we have is the idea, someone throwing their weight around. That means that they matter. They mean something. And so when they speak up, they can turn things in their own uh, direction. And so he's saying, I'm looking forward to this future glory. And that glory, that weight, that density, that importance, this future that that seems like it actually matters, uh, shows me that this life is thin and shallow and pale. And what Satan wants us to think is that sin is the secret to turbocharge our experience. That right now, the things that we have at our disposal is what will really satisfy us. I mean, can you think of one person that you know that has devoted their life to sin, that is living the kind of life that you long for? I can't. Because sin does not provide glory to us. It, is, it hollows us. It dilutes our life. It, it leads us down a road making us ask, is this all that there is? I mean, is this all that life has to offer? I mean, think about it. Like, why do people just keep moving from one thrill to another thrill? Because they don't have a vision of the glory that is to be revealed in Jesus. And, you know, we think about this, this future glory that as Christians we're headed towards. And you know, we th- it feels so far away. Like it's just hundreds of years away, like light years away. But really, it's, it's a heartbeat away. One heartbeat and you're there and it's yours. And we can trust in that. And we can fight the doubt that this life will never stop hurting with the promise that God is working to make all things new. He's He's, and that's what he goes on to continue talking about. He, he begins this, this, this argument about creation. He brings in creation to this argument. He talks about the fact that when we think about this future glory, we normally think about heaven. He's not talking about 
heaven. He's talking about creation. He's, God is going to make this earth new. The one that we walk on, the one that provides us glimpses of glory and beauty and pleasure. He's going to make this one new. And then, and then later on, in verse 23, it talks about how that we too groan with creation for this, this, this thing that we're, that we're eagerly waiting for. It says that we are waiting for the adoption as sons. So we've been adopted legally, but it's not been fully made real to us yet. So we're waiting for that, but we're also waiting for the redemption of our bodies, not our souls, our bodies. So, I mean, like this body, like, I mean, look at your hand right now, this hand right here with these fingerprints, like the, the fingerprints that you leave on this earth will be the fingerprints that you leave on the new earth. Like th- this body that is riddled with pain and has, has experienced so much turmoil and trouble and will experience even more will be made brand new. God is making this world new. And so <clears throat> when we consider this, as Paul says, I consider this and it, it changes his perspective. It changes how he sees things inside. I mean, uh, you know, I was, in reality, the, the Grinch has pretty good theology. This happened to the Grinch, okay? So if you've seen the Grinch, this happened to him. He was this mean green guy who would steal people's presents because he thought Christmas was stupid. And then he saw, he considered how, they, how the people of Whoville saw that Christmas wasn't about the presents. It was about being together, but the spirit of Christmas. And <clears throat> that reality did what? It made his heart grow three times its own size. So when he considered this reality, it made his heart grow. And then what happened? Well, he went back down the mount and gave back all the presents that he had stolen. So the Grinch has pretty good theology because he realizes that if you want to change, you have to consider a greater reality. You have to consider that. And when we do that, it changes our heart, changes our attitude, changes our expectations, which then transforms us because the gospel actually meets our heart's deepest longings. It's the key that actually fits the lock to hope and to a future. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is not, is the gospel promise enough to thrill our heart? That's not the question. The question that we have to ask is, is my heart elastic enough to stretch wide enough to grasp the height and width and depth of the love of God for you in Christ? The promise of the gospel is Huge. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. It is much bigger than we would expect. <clears throat> and so we have to ask ourselves, what promise are we clinging to tonight? Is it our adoption? Are we clinging to that? Is it the promise of, of future glory where all things will be made new, including our bodies, including this earth? Are we relishing and living in the promise that all of this is is based on God being our Father, God choosing to love us, redeem us, and restore us? Our hope, our hope in all this is the promise of God's 
Invincible love. That's the point of our adoption and future glory. Now in this life and in the future to come, we cannot do anything to change God's love for us. And so I want to give us all a second uh, to process this and to pray. So I want to invite you to to bow your head and, and to close your eyes. And I want to give you all a second to to ask God to to widen your heart. Ask him to open your heart so that you can grasp the, the reality of the benefits of God's invincible love. Ask him to help you trust his promises to you. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have made great and true promises that uh, are greater and more true <clears throat> than any promise we've ever heard in this life. And God, we, we do trust you. We do, but God, we know that we need to trust you more. God, for the sake of, of our joy, for the sake of, of, of living a life that feels Anything but meaningless. God, we, we need you by your spirit to help us to know that you have brought us into your family. To help us to know that you're making us new. Making all things new. And that this life isn't just wasting away. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust these things. Help us to lift our eyes above our current circumstances on the foundation of your promises to find hope that can give us life everlasting. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.